This is Erin Prather Stafford with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. There are many when should I questions when it comes to parenting. When should I let my child have their first sleepover? When should I let my child watch that movie? When should they go to a concert by themselves? And while some of these we can remember from when we were growing up, there's a question many parents and caregivers now struggle with that older generations didn't have to worry about. When should my child receive their first phone? That's why I'm excited to welcome Dr. Katherine Perlman to the Girls That Create podcast. She is the author of First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. Dr. Perlman is the founder of The Family Coach and a licensed clinical social worker who has been working with children and families for more than 25 years. She is also the author of Ignore It, How Selectively Looking the Other Way Can Decrease Behavioral Problems and Increase Parenting Satisfaction. Welcome, Dr. Perlman, to Girls That Create. Thanks for having me. A lot of books about this topic are aimed at parents and caregivers. What inspired you to write First Phone with the audience being kids themselves? I started realizing that even the most tech-savvy parents who provide excellent supervision to their kids, conscientious parenting, are finding that their kids are having access to things that they didn't expect. So even if your home is completely shut down from the internet, your kids don't have devices, all of their friends have devices. So they're on the bus, they're in someone else's house, and they have complete access to everything. And also, kids are extremely tech savvy. So a lot of times they're into things their parents know nothing about. And so I got a lot of calls from parents basically saying, oops, my child got into something, and what can I do? And I kept thinking, we're trying to solve this problem after the fact. What if we gave kids all of the information they knew to make good decisions, then we wouldn't have to worry about being constant supervision, which is at this point impossible. And we would say, okay, they have the information, they can make good decisions. So um, I really focused on putting in the book in terms that kids would understand. And in the same way that parents, we buy puberty books because it's like, I don't even know where to start here. Let me get a book for the kids about puberty and then we can go through it together. It was the same idea. These are some complex ideas and like, it's so big. Where do you start? What are the topics to discuss? And so this is sort of a roadmap for parents. Something I really like that you mentioned in the book is about that kids can make smart choices. You know, and as parents that we have to have confidence in them to make those choices. I mean, which can be hard because you're kind of letting them go off into the internet and kind of almost like a little bit of a panic about that. Can you share more thoughts about that sentiment about why it's important that we kind of have to have that trust established with our kids and know that they're going to need to, you know, make those decisions themselves? So, you know, the thing is, I used to talk to parents maybe a decade ago. We talk about helicopter parents, and those are really the other parents. You know, that's not us. Now we are all helicopter parents. It's the expectation. We are micromanaging our children in such a way that that we're not giving them opportunities to be independent, even from young ages, like find out what's slightly above their skills and then give them an opportunity to grow those skills. And we're not doing that. And what we're seeing is kids are going off to college or, you know, graduating high school and doing, you know, whatever, and they're not prepared for the real world. So what I have learned is that when you look at other countries and you look at other cultures, 
kids four and five are making meals for the family, you know, six and seven year olds are herding cattle alone in the road. We have stopped giving our kids the tools to be independent and make a decision. So this has all been brewing for me. And then my son had a teacher named Mrs. Boys who had 35 kids in the class. They were second and third graders. It was crazy. And her motto was solve your problem. So when the kid was like raising their hand, I need a new pencil solve your problem when the, you know, the kid has to go to the bathroom, solve your problem. She realized the kids can manage all these things. She didn't have time to manage all these things. And lo and behold, these kids were fantastic. They solved their problems. And it just really hit me. We have to empower our kids to make a decision, solve their problems. And when we give them the tools, the education and the training, they 100% can rise up. And in fact, they enjoy it. They like being given opportunities to be independent, even little ones. Something I struggle with, I think, as a parent, I think everyone out there can kind of relate to this, is my own modeling of how I'm using my phone or my devices and keeping the balance, per se, of being not tied to the phone, not tied online, but being present. And it's easy to get caught up in the needs of your job and your day-to-day and keeping up with all things from school and all this other, you know, our world is so much online. It actually makes me think back about what you're saying about the kids who are in other countries and their lifestyles, because in America, I feel, you know, online is kind of king now. So much work is driven by it. And even if you're a more physical job, you're still having to communicate online. I want to know what your thoughts are about modeling good behavior. We want our kids to have a healthy relationship with their devices. How can we as adults model that for them? I used to talk about modeling good behavior as parents. We're going to show our kids the behavior we want. And that is, of course, vitally important. But recently, I read a research study about what happens when parents are very digitally distracted. And it isn't just that the kids then become very attached to their technology. They look at their parents as less warm, less attentive, less loving. That's a big deal. (laughs) That's not just that our kids are going to have bad etiquette with their phones. They are less connected to their parents. So we really have to do a deep dive into looking at ourselves and saying, what am I showing my kids about what's important, about what I value, about my relationships, and about how I am connected to people And really start from there. I almost recommend to parents that you take a week and you don't do anything but observe yourself. How often are you picking up the phone when your kid is trying to talk to you? How often are you scrolling when you should be listening? How often are you picking up the phone at mealtime? How often are you fill in the blank, whatever? How many hours are you spending on social media when your kids are home from school? You can actually track all that stuff. And I actually tracked how much time I was spending on social media to put it in the book. I was horrified. I mean, truly horrified. Of course, it was in the pandemic, but still, I was shocked with how much time I was spending. So I limited my time now to an hour a day. We have to use technology to help us manage our technology because we feel kind of like we're failing as parents when we see how, I use air quotes, uh, addicted our kids are to their technology and the same thing, how much we are addicted to our technology. And the truth of the matter is there are teams of really smart individuals who are paid a lot of money to figure out how to keep us on our devices longer. And they make it so that our brain lights up and we get warm, fuzzy feelings. And that's why we have likes and shares and comments and notifications and all these things that kind of keep us attached. And so if we see that, then we say, okay, it's not just about my willpower. I actually need to turn off my notifications. I actually have to think about setting limits on my social media. I know a woman who does social media for her living and she was using it too much. And so she decided to limit social media for her between 3 and 8 p.m. So she cannot use her phone for social media during the time her kids are awake. That's great to me. That's a great solution. So we have to kind of use the technology to help us be focused on the things that are really important to us. 
my kiddo has a phone, my kiddo's online, they make a mistake. They see something, they watch something, they download something. The sky's the limit with the internet. As a parent, what should be my first reaction when they come to me? One, I guess I know I should be happy that they even came to me because a lot of times they don't come and then you may discover it. So I guess you have two scenarios. One, they come to you, or two, you discover it unintentionally, and now you have to have a conversation with them. What are the actions that you should think about taking and addressing the situation? There's a huge learning curve with managing technology, and even as adults, we are still learning all the time. There are new updates. There are new scams. There are new things that come out that we have to learn, new social media, like whatever it is. Digital education is for a lifetime. Therefore, we are going to make mistakes, and we shouldn't expect our kids to be any different. 100% they will make some mistakes. They will make many mistakes. They might make some very big mistakes. What's really important is that you have the connection with your kids where they can talk to you. Even if they don't come tell you and you find out some other way, which you very may well do, you need to remain calm and loving and caring and understanding that these things happen. So in no way should you lecture. They know they've made a mistake. They may know why they made the mistake. Nobody learns from hearing a lecture. But maybe sort of understanding, okay, how did we get here? Educate me, too, because I have never seen that kind of email or text. I've never seen that kind of update. So show it to me so that we can learn together. I wrote this book about technology. My husband has read my book. He's heard me do this talk a million times. And he fell for a Twitter scam. And I said to him, you have to tell the kids. You have to talk to the kids about it. Because it's not just like we're lecturing the kids that they should be smarter. We all have to be smarter. We all have to be on our game. And so I think when kids understand it's not just them, they can be more open and say, oh, my gosh, let me tell you what happened to Joey. You know, listen to what happened. He downloaded this thing and it ruined his whole computer. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. I'm so glad you told me. So you want to have this open communication. And if you come in lecturing and you come in harsh and you come in with punishment, then you're absolutely going to lose your kid. They're not going to come to you anymore. And you're going to have no control and no ability to educate them in the future. And they'll just go find it somewhere else too, without you having any input in it. Yeah. We will take a quick break to thank our sponsors. And then we'll be right back on Girls That Create on Word of Mom Radio. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information. This episode of the Girls That Create podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash girls that create. There are thousands of titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This selection includes Dr. Perlman's book, First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. You and your kiddo might listen to it together, then discuss the ins and outs of getting a first phone. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash girls that create for your free audiobook. 
Are you experiencing insomnia, brain fog, hot flashes, mood swings, and more? These are many of the symptoms women experience on a daily basis affecting the health of their brain and increasing the risk for dementias like Alzheimer's disease down the road. A healthy lifestyle can make a big difference for the health of the brain, but Brain Love Health took it further and created an innovative nutritional supplement, especially for women, to support us through this transitional time while also promoting better sleep and long-term brain health. Don't wait any longer to help your brain age well. Why let it deteriorate? The health of your brain is in your hands. To begin protecting it today, visit brainlovehealth.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice, because safety, it's in the bag. We're back on Word of Mom Radio and Girls That Create, and I'm speaking with Dr. Katherine Perlman. So let's talk about one's data and how that impacts the content we see. I mean, you mentioned previously about algorithms. It's not what you were discussing, because how do these platforms keep us wanting to come back, keep us wanting to stay on? Why is it crucial to understand that about phone usage and in educating our kids? And you kind of alluded to that, but I wanted to dive out a little more deep into that. We're a lot smarter than we were five years ago, way more smarter than we were 10 years ago, but it's very much an important concept to understand when using the internet. So I wanted kids to understand that there is data out about us everywhere. And that is not necessarily all a terrible thing. I think we fear people knowing things about us. I always joke that between Amazon and Google, they know literally everything about me. Absolutely everything, a full human profile. So there's limits to how much we can limit the amount of data that goes out and it isn't all terrible. So I use examples in the book of saying, Starbucks knows when I'm close to another Starbucks, they know the drink I want to order. That's actually very convenient for me. And so I like that. Music is recommended for me. And I really like that music. I wouldn't have heard of that music if you didn't recommend it to me, computer. So that's wonderful. There, so there's a lot of great ways that data is used. But I also want kids to understand that there's a digital footprint and that some of the data we cannot erase and it's there forever and we don't control it. And that some of that can be used in ways that we might not appreciate. So I want them to have a nuanced idea about data, not to fear data. I mean, our kids are growing up in a digital world. They're digital natives. And so there's no idea before they were have evidence of them online. They've been online and there's been digital footprints for them since they were babies. But I do like them to think about how these things work. Why is it that YouTube knows the next video you want to watch? And how does it sometimes get it wrong? And how that can lead you into a place of what now you're watching something that's not safe for you or age inappropriate or whatever that may be. And to just be more mindful about what you click on, where you click on it. You know, you hear stories about people who look at pornography at work and they get fired. These are the kind of stories we have to tell our children and understand that there's a time and a place that I'm not even recommending pornography at home for them. I'm just saying that's for an older kid, a teenage kid. There's a time and a place where you need to be mindful of what's on your own computer, what's the computer you're using in public and how to manage your data. 
One thing I know in our previous interview we did for the Girls That Create website, you mentioned doing the activity with your kids where you take both of your phones and you show them the differences of what you are being fed through algorithms and what they are being fed through algorithms and having a discussion about that on why those are different and just kind of walking through that with them. Yeah, I mean, I think what the research is still being developed, but what it has shown is that especially for girls, the kind of content that is being shown to them is very damaging to their self-esteem. There's a lot of weight loss or what I ate in a day kind of things, very extreme challenges, very extreme behaviors has led to deaths, actually. I mean, that's not hyperbole. Like kids are dying from doing TikTok challenges. And so we have to show kids that your computer is trying to figure you out. So if you don't like this or you don't think it's appropriate for you, don't click on it. Because if you click on it, now it thinks that you're interested in that. And showing them how my Instagram for you is different than your Instagram for you and how it's showing us different things based on what it knows we like. I mean, my son laughs because my Instagram for you is like, could not be more on target, babies and puppies and that kind of thing and cooking. And But I, I want to know what's being shown to my kids for them and what's the recommendation. And as a parent, it can tell me what they've been clicking on. So it's really instructive. And again, not to come in and punish our kids or to lecture our kids, but to have an open dialogue with them, to ask them about how does it make you feel when you see this? You know, why do you think you're being shown this? And why don't you think your brother is being shown this? And to kind of talk about that. Absolutely. You recommend children not having a public social media account until age 21. What is that? Why that suggestion? What are your thoughts behind that recommendation? I think that kids' brains are still developing through the age of 25. And I don't think they can fully grasp the idea that things are permanent. And if, and if you delete them, they are a permanent record if somebody copied it and shared it. And you have no control over that. And you may change your mind about something and you can't go back. You know, if you're 30, 40 years old, and you post something and you can't take it back. Well, you have a lifetime of making mistakes to have thought better of that. And that's on you. But I still want to help protect children while they're still developing the understanding of permanency so that they don't post things that can't go away. And then it also protects them from predators and scammers and people like that who friend them. And, you know, you don't even know that they're there watching you. Whereas if it's a private one, they have to ask for permission to view your account and you can decide, yes, I know you, no, I don't, and things like that. Now the big question, when should you give your kid their first cell phone? And I know from the book that your view actually depends on the child. Sorry, parent, there's not a magic age. You're going to have to figure this out depending on your child. Right. I mean, that is true. There is not a magic age and every kid is different. Even within the same home, you may make different choices for your different children. I'd say in America, most kids are getting a phone sometime between 8 and 11 or 12. And 8 may sound very, very young, but there are some legitimate reasons for an eight-year-old to have a phone. I talk about some of them in the book. For example, one kid has diabetes and he managed that on his phone. In divorced families, it might be appropriate. Sometimes people don't have a home phone and child's home briefly alone when a parent goes out. So it may make sense for a younger child, but then you also want to think about how responsible are they with their belongings? What's the need? Are you available for training and supervision? Because it's going to take a lot of that to make sure your kids stay safe. And, you know, we used to kind of think, let's wait as long as possible. Let's wait till they're 13 or 14. And there's like a whole movement about wait till eighth grade. And that sounds great in theory. But my opinion is by the time your kid is 13 or 14, they have had so much digital experience. It's almost ridiculous to think that they're not accessing everything that could be accessed on a phone. On an iPad and a computer, they can do everything they can do on a phone. It's just not portable. And they're doing it at their friends' houses. So for all you know, they already have a Facebook and an Instagram and a TikTok, but they're signing on from their friend's phone. They have multiple accounts on someone else's phone. So it's like you've almost missed the window of opportunity to actually train them 
And by the time someone is 14, they have one foot out the door. They're focused on their friends, which is age appropriate. They're really less interested in hearing from their parents about the safeties of the internet. But a 10-year-old is more than happy to listen on a daily basis to what they need to know and to have you looking inside their phone and educating them and supervising them. So I actually think 10, 11 is a great age for a first phone, which does not have to be with all the bells and whistles, but something that, you know, they can add to over time. Once you've seen that they're able to be responsible and they make good decisions, you can add on things. And my daughter first started with Instagram at 11 or 12, but we were on it together. It was a shared account. I could see what she was doing. I could see what she was commenting on. And so that gave me the opportunity to educate her as we go. If I waited and I said at, at 13, legally, you're allowed to have an account. Good luck. Have fun. I have no control of what she's doing. I can't see who she's talking to. And most kids are not texting through texting apps. They're texting within social media apps. So you don't even know what's going on. Yeah. So that's like a long story about when to get your phone, but generally 10, 11, 12 is a good time. I think that's really important though to mention because 13, I don't think a lot of you hear it, but I think it's another thing when you're actually parenting through it to also realize that your child's turned 13 and suddenly they can sign up for a Google account, a Gmail account, and it's theirs. Google doesn't have to give you that login information. Surprising to me to realize that. And I even, even I thought I was well read. And when I read that and I was like, well, then Someone can, yes, to your point, get on another phone, create an account, and then just create a social account all on a different device I won't even know exists. Right. And the truth is now, I mean, kids lie about their age so they can get on TikTok so earlier or Instagram earlier. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, so they lie and, you know, the companies could do age verification, but they chose not to. Right. So it really is upon us to train our kids to be able to make good decisions and to feel comfortable talking to us about the things that they see and do in a very open way so that we can help them in this world that is incredibly complicated for 13 year olds. It's complicated for adults. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely. What last piece of advice would you like to share with parents and caregivers as they're going through all this online introduction and trying to make sure that they provide the best information and resources for their kids? So I think a lot of parents go heavy in in the beginning with a contract and some supervision and a lot of talking about the phone. And that really dwindles over the next couple of years and then until it's sort of like a free for all. And I think it's really important for parents to realize that teaching kids about technology is something that we should be doing weekly until they leave the house. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be in their phone when they're at 16 years old, but you can still talk to them about something you heard on the news or about a virus or about an update or about a challenge or all of these things. And you can ask your kids to bring topics of conversation because you don't know it all either. In fact, we have no idea what our kids are experiencing online until we really ask them open-ended questions. So um, I think it's important for parents to think about long-term education and it doesn't have to be all upfront, front-loaded. It should be a little bit all the time. And then the most important thing I say to parents is to keep the devices out of the bedroom. If they only get one thing from my book, from my talks, from listening to this podcast, it is this, that they should not have any devices that's computer, iPads, or phones in their bedroom. Because I don't care how much they swear up and down, they're not going to use it. They are using their devices in the night. Even I had a parent of a four-year-old tell me, he set his alarm and he was using his iPad in the middle of the night. And so we have to be more mindful of that because while we're still learning about the research about what technology is doing to our kids, we know already very clearly what lack of sleep is doing to our kids. And it's increase of depression, anxiety, lower attention, lower memory. These are things we're seeing in kids on the rise. And so the most important thing we can do is protect their sleep and give them, you know, the 
eight, 10, 12 hours that they really need at whatever age. So keep that stuff out of the bedroom. Thank you, Dr. Perlman. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on Girls That Create on Word of Mom Radio. Let's all remember to put down the phone and be present with those we care about. We'll close out today with our theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Aaron Prather Stafford. She is sure, she is sure, she is strong, she is